Hello and welcome to Mikey Pod. This is episode 220 for December 13th, 2016. Podcast is one day late this week. My apologies. It is still coming out this week and you're listening to it today. So that's really what matters, right? Yeah, (laughs) I was on a roll for a good like 10 seconds there. I'm your host, Michael Herron. I'm a composer, pianist, electronic musician, storyteller, and activist based in New York City. And as such, I have some pretty diverse tastes in things. So on this podcast, you could hear guests ranging from activists to musicians to pastors to authors, whatever else strikes my fancy. I've been sending this podcast to your ears for a little over 11 years. If you'd like to hear more about me, stop by my website at michaelherron.com. Hit me up on social media everywhere as at michaelherron or send an email to mikeypod at gmail.com. Hello. I have two guests today. One, Christopher Sebastian. Uh, activist? I don't know if he chooses that word, activist. He's an advocate for many things. He is very well-spoken and an Uh, just a fantastic person. I adore this person and I am really, really happy to have him on the podcast. Uh, I've been, we've been trying to get this together for a long time. Uh, Trump happened. I, my increased awareness of my own weird racism happened. Uh, it seemed like a perfect time to really, really push to have this gentleman upon my cast. That has a tone to it. This gentleman upon my cast. That does that sound like a euphemism for something? Guest number two, Robin Raven. She has released a children's book called Santa's First Vegan Christmas. It's great. Vegan publishers. You'll hear all about it when I talk to her. This is unusual for me to have two guests, but it seemed perfect. Both of these folks are um, affiliated with vegan publishers, and uh, they're both amazing people. And I'm going to see what it's like to put two guests on one podcast. Uh, And I would love to hear from you if you would like to uh, let me know how you feel about this podcast. I'm making this very important. How I'd love to know your feelings about the podcast having two guests if you could you know share with me how you feel that'd be great i usually like to do some uh what's going on with me things and i have to be perfectly honest with you what's going on with me right now is uh what looks like depression uh right now i feel good and i it's i'm having a hard time getting out (laughs) you know like last saturday uh, I was going to edit the podcast, post it on my Patreon page, go to a horse carriage protest, go to a Canada Goose protest, and I didn't do any of that. Zip. Uh, and then, you know, that that sort of shame that uh, co- comes over you, like you're already feeling like, oh, I don't want to go out of the house today. And then you're like, oh, I didn't go out of the house and I was going to do this. Uh, so anyway, I, uh, at the very least, I can be honest about feeling that way. Uh, I don't know what it's all about. I think there's some Trump issues. There's some, my show ended issues. I think I even mentioned this last week, Uh, but it always helps to share these things. If you're listening, what do you do when you're in, you know, I live by myself. I work by myself. A lot of my, uh, I don't, I I do work outside of the house, but I work for myself. Um, And, and a lot of this content I create is sort of self-motivated and not, I mean, people aren't clamoring for this podcast. You know, nobody was like, <laughs> this sounds a little mopier than, than I intended to. But, but the point is if I don't put the podcast up, I feel bad about it because I told myself I would do it. Um, but not a lot of people are like really pissed off. I mean, they'll listen to it or not, uh, right now. But if I'm consistent, 
perhaps there will be more of you. So all of that is to say, there's not a lot to check in with. Uh, I saw a great show. I saw Falsettos on Broadway with Marianne Sullivan. Oh, P.S. Uh, check out the Our Hen House podcast this week. Uh, I, I made an appearance talking to Jasmine Singer about the animal show and what I have coming up. Oh, gosh. I guess I did make a big blog post about my uh, tour I'm making this summer. So things have happened. There's also a new video on YouTube uh, of Black Friday protests that I went to. So yeah, some stuff happened this week. Check all of those things out. Uh, MichaelHeron.com is the main spot. I mentioned that already. If you'd like to support my work, Mikey, uh, nope, Patreon.com slash MichaelHeron. Talked about that earlier too. Why don't we listen to some music? One of my favorite independent artists is Odom Relic. And I don't know a ton about this guy, but I do know that he makes albums I love. And he also creates really cool uh, uh, synthesizers and he circuit bends instruments and he makes it's the type of thing that I think that's how I first discovered him by just noticing this little synthesizer he made uh, out of a doll head. Very creepy, very awesome. Uh, so he's got a new album out this week, and the song that we're going to listen to is called Negative Space. Uh, this is by Odom Relic from the album Unbroken and Unheard. This is just out this week, and after this we'll hear from Christopher Sebastian. Let the muse drift. Don't trap yourself in this. The wasted potential of a private animal with a solid grip. Clear some new space in the tired place of dead cells Don't let the gravity of these sober seconds destroy your health The goosebumps will not come standing still in a tired tomb Nor will broken records birth innovation from an empty womb Pick the pieces up, 30 years of spilled guts Stuck deep in the clutch, no backing down, no giving up
Welcome to the podcast, Christopher Sebastian. Thank you, Michael Hare. <laughs> it's so funny, like, doing the podcasting after knowing each other, like, mostly on Facebook. We've met in person. We just met once. I think it was at NARD a couple of years ago, the National Animal Rights that Day. That is correct. It was at NARD. Yes. So, And I feel like we should have seen each other way more often for as long as I was living in New York. I know. Like, it was really one of those, like, I think it was uh, Evan Tash that connected us. I think it was one of those things that he was like, are you friends with Christopher Sebastian? I was like, ah, I don't think so. And he's like, What? You better get on that. <laughs> He's like the the vegan person connected. Shout out to Evan. Yo, Way to go, Evan. Yeah, I don't think Evan knows how to listen to podcasts, though. No. <laughs> He's apologized to me for that before. He's like, I don't listen to your podcast. I don't, I don't know what to do with that. You're a great friend, Evan. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> I learned when I started, I did, I've been doing this podcast forever, like since, ni- like, not 19, 2006 is when I started doing it. And um, mm-hmm. like back then, like nobody knew what the fuck I was talking about. I was like, yeah, it's a podcast. You like, and I'm like, what? Well, what's an iPod again? Uh, like, yeah, okay. now everybody's got a podcast. Mm-hmm. I like to always make sure people know, well, I've been doing mine for 11 years. So it was That's long right. before any of y'all assholes started doing this. <laughs> I don't know how, like, I always want to just introduce you as like the, the person that lives in my Facebook feed with, and says all these amazing things that I... Need to need to know. Like you are a speaker. You're a vegan. You're a. Uh, I was just looking at your uh, your bio on your Facebook page. Um, a, not a habitual sleeper. How did you phrase that? I don't know, <laughs> but I am habitual about my sleeping. I'm going. I'm, I, I could likely go unconscious, like in the middle of this podcast. Don't like you know. I'll be ready. Should I sound an alarm or something? How do I how do I handle you- that? You should probably have one prepared because it's it's distinct possibility. But yes, I love it. Uh, it's recreational sleeper. That's what you said. So I am a recreational sleeper, a recreational and habitual. The two are not mutually exclusive, at least not in my mind. I love. But you're also a speaker, and you're like, I I always feel like I don't know how to describe people like you. You're a teacher to me. Like there's so many things that you post on Facebook. That I'm like, whoa, like there's so many whoa things happening for me. And the things that, that I mostly whoa about are your ability to make this distinct connection between things. And people talk about intersectionality a lot, which I get in a general way. But I would love like to talk about that. Like what like that? I feel like that's the biggest question. What's intersectionalism? And is it a question you can just like rattle off an answer to? I don't think that, like, I mean, it's a very complicated question, and I don't think that it's a question that has an easy answer. Um, like, intersectionality, when it was first introduced to me, like, you know, it, it's this this sort of, this this theoretical approach to, like, to understanding um, oppression, um, coming from, of course, um, Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw and Patricia Hill Collins. Um, and, and that was like in the, in the late eighties or early nineties, but you know, like it's like, it's morphed into something else, um, that, you know, that, that exists outside of the, the framework that they introduced, which I feel like can be good, but you know, and in some ways is also very bad, um, because women of color for whom the term itself had, had been coined, um, you know, like they, they still are experiencing, the the same systemic disenfranchisement that they were at that time and i i hate thinking of them being left behind 
in these conversations. Um, so like, you know, but on the other hand, like it's also morphed into something that can be viewed as more inclusive um, than we had previously considered because the animal rights community, um, it has like, you know, has, has learned to use this um, to, to their advantage and like, and, and kind of include other species communities in our understanding of intersectionality. Um, and that's, that's, that's great. You know, I think that that's awesome. But at the same time, like, you know, the, the mainstream animal rights community is mostly composed of white voices mm-hmm. and you know, it feels distinctly appropriative. So I think that there is a need to handle these discussions with a bit more sensitivity than we do. And, you know, and to not further marginalize the voices of those women of color that we were talking about. So, so yeah, like that's, you know, that, that's, that's my 30 second, perhaps 45 second, um, elevator speech on, on intersectionality. But for me, like it's, it's, it's not necessarily about using these academic terms, but like the practice of being inclusive in our activism, um, the, the practice of, of, of understanding these connections between oppressions, um, and, and how, multiple identities um, need to be taken into account and like, you know, and, and learning to be sensitive and learning to listen, um, you know, to, to one another, especially when like there's the potential for, for like our allies to be hurt. Um, and, and sometimes I feel like there's not enough listening going on. So, so yeah, like that's, that's, that's me. That's, that's, that's all I got. Uh, I'm glad. So two things. One is I was saying intersectionalism and it's intersectionality, right? Intersectional intersectionalism. Is that like a word someone would use besides me? <laughs> it's heard that like, I've heard people throw out there and I'm not quite sure like where that came from or what to do with it. Like, I mean, I just go with it when people say it because I'm like, okay, well that's a thing. Um, you know, like I, like when I talk about it, like I talk about it as intersectionality, but like, you know, but I also like, you know, I, I also like have become more judicious about actually using the word itself. Um, because I like, you know, I, I hate to think of it as becoming a buzzword, um, instead, in, instead of something that actually has meaning. So like, so again, like, you know, I concentrate on the practice of it rather than talking about it uh-huh. specifically. Well, the other thing, like you're talking about it. And, and its history made me realize that, again, I'm coming from, like, my white animal rights perspective, where I was like, oh, it's how cool. Vegans are, like, making this thing about, like, including others in our work. And it's like, no, bitch, <laughs> we took, you know, we, we I, I hear you saying it's not like we're co-opting the term, but I, I wasn't recognizing the history of where it came from. And I was seeing it from like, like something like this election, as sort of sad, as embarrassing as it is to to admit, has me realizing like, oh, this country is racist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and it's terrible. that It took this te- like uh, Trump getting elected for me to snap. Okay. into it. But uh, but so this is just another one of those moments. where I'm like, OK. You gotta like I, I I don't see things from as many different perspectives as as I would like to as I would like to yeah so I'm glad to have that history yeah yeah no a, we are aggressively racist in our country aren't we like it is like that's that's something else like um like a lot of people remarked um, 
like constantly remarked on how surprised they were at the results of this election. And then there were others, other voices um, who, who may have been more aware, who were like, yeah, like this isn't exactly the most surprising thing that could have happened. Um, you know, and, and like, you know, and what's really funny is like observing how like we continue to reproduce racist aggressions um, against one another, even after realizing um, how racist we are. Like, we have allies that are so quick to, like, assign blame. How could this have happened? Like, you know, where, like, you know, what, what, you know, what did you do that, like, these, these specific voters, like, you know, who voted for third parties or people who didn't vote at all, you're at fault for this. And, like, you know, you've done something. You, and, and really, statistically, when you, like, you know, when you actually sit down and analyze the electoral map, you know, this isn't a failing of like you know any specific group. This is something that like this is this is this is like this is really um, effectively what we're looking at. And I like you know I, I I hate having to put it so bluntly. What we're looking at is the actual practice of white supremacy in our society. Um, you know, like Donald Trump did exactly what he needed to do. He mobilized voters, and you know, and I think that. Um, on on the other side, um, if we can just like talk politics for a moment, what would would fail to happen on the Democratic side is that like there are entire blocks of voters that have been taken for for granted. Um, and I mentioned this weeks ago before before the election, like you know even 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 happened. Um, and after the election, like, you know, I was reading pieces in the Washington Post where writers were, again, assigning blame and, and saying that, like, you know, it shouldn't have been incumbent upon um, Secretary Clinton to court certain voting blocks because she should have been able to take those groups for granted. And I'm like, that's actually in print in a national newspaper, that you should be able to take someone's vote for granted. And like and and what what I think we have seen, um, especially with with people who chose not to participate in the political process this time around, is that this is the net result of that. Like you know, like people are not being heard. People feel as though like you know the 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 story is that like you know you you like you get I'm all you got. Like you've got no place else to go because the Republicans like you know TM are going to treat you first. And so therefore you take the abuse that you're like heaped, um, you know, it, that, that gets heaped in your direction because like it is like, it, it's more palatable than the potential abuse that you can get from, you know, from the other, um, whatever that other may be. And that's just no way to run an election. Um, and like, you know, and it's extremely disappointing to me, um, but I, I don't think that it's a, a surprising result um, and yeah, and I'm curious to see what, like, you know, the, what the next four years hold. Hell, I'm curious to see what the next four days hold, because <laughs> as we've, like, you know, every every new day is a, another another bunch of sparkly gems that are scattered to us via social media about what the uh, what the president elect, as we call Donald Trump, is um, is up to. And so, like, you know, so it, it's it's always going to be a surprise. We'll find out. Yeah, you know, I, I'm discovering that one of the things that I appreciate about appreciate about your perspective and your writing is uh, that I don't like. I may be wrong on this. I'm just sort of get, putting this together. There seems to be less blame coming from you and more observation and 
uh, curtain, pulling back of curtains, uh, it, which, which, you know, like a, a spirit of, hey, guys, look at this, <laughs> instead of finger pointing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, the finger pointing, like, like I, I won't say that it never has its place. But yeah, I think that it's so much more important to be aware um, and to like, you know, to observe what's going on around us than to like than to point fingers and, and say who's at fault. Um, collectively, like, you know, we, we've, we've got to do something about this. Um, and like, you know, I hate that, like, there are those of us who are already doing things about it that are already like, you know, being victimized by the system that, you know, that have to put in even more effort. Um, but, but yeah, like, you know, I, like, I don't see the, the use for, for finger pointing, especially in this circumstance or specifically rather in, in this circumstance. Um, like, you know, what we've got to do is, you know, is, is ensure the safety of the people who are going to be left most vulnerable to the effects of, um, of a Trump presidency. Mm. Uh, on the topic of white supremacy, you put together a seven point plan to disrupt white supremacy in the U S American exceptionalism. And then the subtitle is they going to be mad. <laughs> yeah. And people were mad. They got in their feelings, didn't they? In the comments, people were having, having all kinds of discussions. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that was like, I, I know that I was feeling like, um, I, I, I was experiencing some, some helplessness and a distinct loss of power. Um, and like, you know, and I know that that was that was very palpable um, among the people that are on my friends list on social media. And, you know, and I was inspired by reading Michael Moore's five point plan. But I thought that it was it, it existed more in the abstract for people. And, you know, and, and it didn't like, you know, not all of his points, but like, you know, but but a lot of a lot of the, the, the rhetoric, or excuse me, a lot of the language that he was using was, was couched in, in rhetoric rather than, like, you know, practicality. And so I wanted to talk to people, like, you know, that, that and, and give them some, some things that I thought were, were useful for me or that had been useful um, in centering me and, and my own attitudes about, like, you know, about dismantling systemic oppression going forward. Um, and, you know, and there, like I, I ultimately ended up with seven points, but there could have easily been 10. There could have easily been been 15. Um, you know, like I didn't even touch on the like, you know, the the abuses that are, are compounded against the Muslim community. Um, you know, like I, I fo- focused mainly on on um, black Americans and Mexican-Americans um, and, and Native Americans. But like there there are so many things that, that we can do, so many practical steps that we can take every day um, that, you know, that that are that are not like conceptual, that, that are very concrete, um, that that I want people to to actively take advantage of. And ultimately, like, you know, this and someone have pointed out um, that that this works for any presidency. Like, it's not, you know, it's not strictly about, like, a Trump presidency, although, like, the situation is arguably more grave right now. But this works for any presidency that we've lived under, because let's be realistic here. Like, you know, this is a country that has been founded on literally, like, the backs of kidnapped Africans and, like, the genocide of of Native American people. So, like, you know, throughout our history, these are the steps that we can take to subvert that like you know to to subvert that that white supremacist um life that we we've been like you know that we've been handed especially lately the past couple of weeks uh, this is i don't know uh 
I am like glazed over a lot when I start thinking about like, huh, what do I do with my racism? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I like <laughs> because I'm like, it, and it's sort of a relief, like in a way, like there were just some conversations I was having and I, I, I went to a meeting that um, I think, you know, you know, Rafaela, I can never pronounce her last name. Yeah, Rafa and Lily um, organized an event, like an animal rights um, in our post-Trump world, basically. I'm not saying the nice, neat title of it. But there, like, the beginning of the meeting was this sort of, like, check-in, like, how's everybody feeling? And some people of color in that meeting were, like, honest in a way I hadn't listened to before. And, yeah. um, and I was like, shit. Like, uh, it's it's uh yeah that that what i just said uh, uh uh is where i'm at with all of it yeah yeah first of all i thought that that meeting was posted online and i really like you know like there are times that i really regret not being in new york because there's so much um there there's 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 just so much radical thought and 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 radical activism that's taking place right now and you know and and people that are on the ground making that happen um like rafa and lily um and like yourself as well and so, like, you know, and, and, like, being a part of that is so important. And I'm glad that you went, um, you know, and, and, like, hearing those stark reactions, that's, like, step one, I think, for, like, you know, for people like you that ask that question, what, you know, what do I do with my racism? Um, like, you know, I, and this, is, this isn't a criticism, um, but rather, rather, like, an observation, once again, an observation that I've got. You know, there, there's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of anger, I feel like, in, um, in the black community. And, you know, um, and I, I talk specifically about the black, community, black, the black community because that's the community that I'm a part of. Um, you know, and like we, 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 you know, we've got so much work that, that is in front of us. Um, and a lot of us don't have like the energy, literally just don't have the energy to devote to like, you know, to, to, to helping white people sort through their feelings um, on, on what <laughs> right. to do with their racism. But like, you know, at, but like that's, that's the reality for, for a lot of us. But there are also like there, those of us in the black community who, who recognize that we've got like, you know, we've got a lot of, of white allies who just don't fucking know what to do with their racism. And like, you know, and, and like, uh, and I, like we're definitely, um, <clears throat> well within our right to say like you know what figure that shit out yourself because i don't have time but you know but there are also those of us who 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 have the capacity the emotional capacity um the the mental capacity capacity um you know and, and the psychological capacity to you know to to provide some sort of instruction for people um and this goes like beyond just racism like you know what that like it's not incumbent upon women to like you know to to tell men what to do um, you know, and, 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 and how to unpack, uh, excuse me, how to, how to unpack their, their, like, you know, or our, I say it as though I'm not a man also, but like, you know, how to unpack our, like, you know, our, our misogyny. Um, it's not an incumbent upon them to do that. You like, you know, we can educate ourselves. Um, and what I like to do, what I try to do is to provide resources for people to do that. Um, so that like, if you're going out there and you are trying to educate yourself holy shit, I don't want you to end up on Breitbart.com. Um, you know, mm-hmm. but, you know, I, like, <laughs> I, 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 I do have that emotional and, and psychological capacity to, like, you know, to provide some sort of insight as best I can because what the hell do I know? 
um, you know, as best I can to, to, to help people, to, to give people some meaningful direction. And, you know, and, and so like, yeah, like, you know, that, that's a challenge that I take on, um, you know, and, and again, like not everybody is going to take that on, but like, if I can put information out there for people that like, that helps them or provides a resource for them, you know, like, you know, how like people have asked before, like, you know, how do I combat racism? Like, you know, and, and this was another like, you know, note that I had written, like, you know, being able to like confront white fragility in, in conversations about race um, and about anti-blackness. Like, you know, and that was something that I have written specifically for white people. And I get criticism for that because, like, oftentimes people say, I don't feel like black people are your primary audience. Hell, I don't even know who my primary audience is half the time because I talk to <laughs> vegans. I talk to non-vegans. I talk to white people. I talk to black people. And, like, you know, and as many new people, like, you know, end up being in conversations with me, there's a whole bunch of people that quietly walk back out the door because they're not here for all of the conversations. The vegans are sometimes not here for the, like, you know, for the anti-black racism conversations. And the black people are sometimes just really not here for these vegan conversations. So, like, there's an ebb and flow. But, you know, um, but yeah, like, you know, in, 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 in conversations about anti-blackness, like, you know, the, that, that particular essay that I was talking about, I had written that with a white audience in mind. Um, because, like, you know, because there are people out there that want to have these conversations, but they don't know how. And like, you know, if I can provide you a resource to be a better ally, that takes the responsibility off the shoulders of another person of color who otherwise would have to like, you know, have to risk that engagement, um, you know, and, and now they won't have to because like, you know, there is a white person who is more educated to do that um, and who is in a better position through their privilege to do that. Um, you know, and, and like, you know, and it's completely reciprocal. Like, you know, when I, when, when, when I see like, you know, speciesist conversations happening, um, within the black community, like, like I feel like, you know, I feel inclined to step in and explain why speciesism is like, you know, is, is, is a tool of white supremacy. Um, it, you know, and I direct them to the work of other people like AF, um, you know, like, like, like Lauren or Nailis, like Breeze Harper. Um, who like you know who who have like very um, strong writings on these subjects and and help people recognize the connections and 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 why they're relevant to us. As you were talking and I was listening, uh, I was tracking down some of your notes. I'll put links to these in in uh, on MikeyPod.com, so you can find the five. No, it's a seven point plan, and you can find a guide for confronting white fragility when having discussions about race, common defenses, and ways to dismantle them. So um, I'm like, I'm going to make my own little Christopher Sebastian reading list <laughs> on my website. <laughs> but, you know, like those are some of the things when I'm sitting here and I'm just going to tell on myself because like somebody's got to. I'm sure other people are as well. <laughs> um, there's this uh, somebody sent me. Do you know Lee Blinder? They are someone who um, uh, sent me when I made a post about this kind of thing that I'm sort of thinking about lately, the thing being racism and it being something that I possess, um, they sent me this uh, syllabus for white people to educate themselves. So I'll share that too. Oh, right. I did see that going around. The name, I knew the name sounded familiar, but I saw that that is a very expensive list and that's an outstanding 
outstanding syllabus. So yeah, please do share that. Yeah, it's just funny that I was talking to you like, I don't know what to do with my racism. Well, how about this list that somebody sent you, bitch? Maybe you can start doing some reading. <laughs> <laughs> I've had this list for like two weeks. So, and you know. Work on like, our misogyny so that we will like, like minimize and hopefully eliminate, eliminate um, using bitch in our, our, our vernacular. Uh, noted. Thank you for pointing that out. No, too. no, no. Like it, it's so like it's it's a thing we like we all constantly have to work on our language. You would be surprised, or perhaps not surprised, at the amount of ableist phrases that still stumble out of my mouth. Like it is an ongoing process. It's not like you know, there's not a finish line in this at all for any of us. So like you know, yeah. But, but, but how great like to just have a conversation. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. huh? your use of the word bitch right there like and then i was able to say oh that's an excellent point you know like and then done we move on and and try to be different if if we feel like we need to be yeah and like and when i say that like you know what it's something that we're all constantly working on i especially am working on it like one of the points that i had made um in the seven point plan um was about like you know was, was about learning a second language um and specifically learning spanish because it's one of the languages of the united states even though we 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 push for the hegemony of like of of english um and the way that i had phrased that was like it it, it excluded um puerto rican americans um in in my attempt to be inclusive of mexican americans and someone pointed that out in the comments and, you know, and she was extremely respectful when she'd done so. And, you know, but that was a call in and I didn't take it as a call in. And I started writing a, a, a reply to her comment. And I got like two paragraphs in before I had to stop myself and to say, oh, this is what are we even doing right now? And like and I had to stop and change. And literally, I like I, I, I wrote two lines that it was like, you know, I'm sorry, I apologize. You're right. How would you like me to phrase this to make it better? And she, like you know, she said that she would think about it, and then she wrote a response um, to to change the language to be more inclusive. And like you know, and I edited the note. That was the end of it. And that's like you know, and so it's it's so it really is humbling for me to recognize that like you know, people regard me as a little intersectionality fairy here, and that's not the case at all like you know like if if, if i'm supposed to be this hyper aware person and it's hard for me to like you know to 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 take a criticism or to to hear a call in from someone like it's going to be that much harder for another person out there so it really like it it really recenters me in a way that like you know i i have to do what i can to, to to help people get to where i am um rather than just being mad um, and, and make no mistake, I'm mad all the time, like from sunup to sundown, that's pretty much my, <laughs> but, you know, but trying my best to channel that energy into like something that's going to be productive for me. Um, and, and because otherwise I'm just going to like, it's, it's going to age me, my hair will go gray and I'll be like, you know, and, and I'll be just, just dying of an ulcer, um, or, or something. So, so yeah, like that's, that's, that's something that, that all of us, all of us have to have to practice. So like, you know, and it's not easy for me. Even even when people think that it is, it, it just isn't. Yeah, you know, uh, th- there's something about like uh, um, being able to own that type of thing that actually feels easy to me. Like, especially, you know, like if if someone points out that something I'd, I've said or done is racist or misogynist or anything like that, like I always have the the option to get defensive and pissed off and like, well, you know, come up with some bullshit. 
but it's so much easier to be like, oh, yeah, like just sort of by default because I'm a white man. <laughs> yeah, I probably, yeah, tell me more about that. Or, you know, like it's a little bit easier to just be like, oh my God. You know, like, yeah. I'm sorry. Or, yeah. Yeah, I should rephrase that. Like, it's not, it's not harder. Um, to, it, it is, it is actually easier to like to accept that you've done something wrong or you, you've misspoken and like, you know, and, and course correct than than it is to to go the other route what's hard is letting go of that damn ego because there's so much ego involved um and i don't yeah. go like going around like oh i'm the shit it, but you know like it, it like the 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 admission like you know we we do have this this sort of like you know this this block um and and i'm like wow like you know what those those whole two paragraphs that i was writing this is way easier just to say i'm sorry how do you want me to fix it you know or how should i fix it and and, and listen instead and we don't realize that that's the easy route. We just we, we complicate things so much in our minds, um, you know, and it makes our lives so much more difficult. So. So, yeah, like, you know, like that that mindfulness is like, you know, that's something else. I tell you. Um, oh, my God. I feel like I feel like we should wrap this up pretty soon. Yeah. Did we have any answers? Yes, we have the answers. But we're <laughs> charged nineteen ninety five plus shipping and handling for them. Oh, exactly. I forgot to mention that part. Uh, so I'm going to do some reading. I'm going to do some talking to people. Like, that's the thing, right? Like, I don't know. I don't know even what I'm trying to say. I, I think that's it. There's no, like, the, the answer is keep moving forward and not try not to fuck up. Yeah, not try, trying to not fuck up. That's, like, that's the best thing to, to do. And, and also, like, recognizing that you will inevitably fuck up. Um, yeah and, and and just like and and kind of dusting yourself off when that happens definitely be vegan oh yeah and oh, we didn't even talk about veganism i, I mean we did a little bit <laughs> Pass. but that's the end of your seven point plan too. be vegan yeah i feel like that's such a a difficult point to to put out there um well not a difficult point to put out there like you know i feel like it's a critical point to 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 put out there like you know um and and like not like the thing is like my god talking about this is just like you know like i feel like it's absurd um that we have to argue for veganism that we have to argue for the rights of other species to be treated as autonomous persons unto themselves rather than resources um you know and and, and yet here we are this is the reality of of the world that we live in but like you know it just seems like such like this this, this shouldn't even be a question like in a world where, like you know, like from the perspective of enlightened self-interest, like we have to be vegan because we're not even going to be able to have this conversation about our rights, like you know, if we don't have air to breathe or clean water to drink, and like non-veganism is contributing to that, and like you know, I recognize that, like you know, that the the reality of of food deserts or food insecurity that prevents some people from being entirely vegan. Um, you know, those are problems that need to be addressed. And I hear about them all the time from people that argue for, like, social justice. But I'm like, you know, and, like, it, whenever I hear that coming from people, I'm like, okay, these are absolutely issues that need to be addressed. But you're not fucking making those issues any better by having, a like, you know, an extra cheese pizza and, like, you know, and, and a fur coat. Like, you're, you're actually contributing to the problem and then blaming veganism for not being a viable solution. So, yeah, like people really need to like, you know, people really need to calm down about that. Like being vegan is critical to the health of our planet, um, our own health. 
And like, you know, and, and yes, like most importantly, this is about the other species communities that we have to live cooperatively with. And, you know, and, and it's such a huge stumbling block for people to get over somehow, but it really leads back to that ego that we were talking about. Like, you know, admitting that like, yeah, this is, this is absolutely a crime. This is a crime that we like, you know, that we forcibly impregnate millions of lives um, and then wrongfully imprison them, torture them for horribly short lives and then brutally kill them for no reason, mostly than our like, you know, than, than convenience and laziness and our own selfishness. That is absolutely criminal. So, like, you know, it, it has to it absolutely has to end. And again, like, you know, I know that not everybody is where I am. Like, you know, I, I wasn't born vegan. I had to, like, you know, come to this realization myself. And, like, I, I operate as patiently as I can um, with, with people when having these conversations. I try to, like, you know, talk to people from a place of loving engagement. But there is a level of urgency there. We don't have the luxury of time anymore, especially under a Trump presidency where, like, you know, where, where he's a climate denier and he is, like, gradually um, and consistently filling his cabinet with people who are also climate deniers. And like, you know, when, when, like, when you're living in the United States, this is like, you know, this is, this is huge. Um, like we, we, we are the, the people on this planet who use the largest amount of the, the planet's resources. And like, we have the, the biggest, um, you know, the biggest footprint, the biggest capacity to, you know, to, to create change. Um, and I'm hoping that, like, you know, most of us take it upon ourselves to change our situation for the better rather than continuing to contribute to the problem. I wish there was a way to communicate to not yet vegan people how easy it becomes. Yeah. You know, like it, it's this big hurdle to people <laughs> like they don't believe me. And I'm like, it, it gets so much easier. Just do it. Yeah. It's not so bad. Yeah. It's not so bad. Like it's challenging for us because we're like, you know, we're trying to undo a lifestyle of, of things that we've been indoctrinated into thinking are normal, that we've been conditioned to, like, you know, to, to do every day, um, you know, and, and, and then suddenly one day waking up and saying, oh, okay, I'm going to do everything different. Um, yeah. You know, and so, like, there is a huge challenge at first, but there are so many resources out there, and we're here to help you do it, um, you know, and, and it gets, like, it's so second nature to me now that I, like, I don't even think about it. Like, even... Even now when I meet new people and, you know, they, they want to invite me for dinner someplace or like, you know, or, or like out in public or, or at their homes and they panic because they don't know what to feed me. And I'm like, you're panicking over something that I haven't even given conscious thought to in over 10 years because it is that easy for me to be vegan. Um, and like, you know, and it's, it's all new and scary to you because, because you don't have that, like, you know, that, that decade of knowledge behind you. I automatically know what I can eat on a Chinese food menu. Um, I automatically know what I'm going to order at a restaurant or a Mexican restaurant. Um, you know, like all of these, like, you know, there, there are so many options. I might struggle a bit with a steakhouse, but like largely speaking, there's always going to be as a last dish, a plate of fries that I can eat. And seeing as how like, you know, fully one third of my diet is like, you know, French fries anyway. Um, by choice <laughs> right and on. not because it's a struggle. Like, you know, like that's, you know, that's no big deal for me. Like if I'm like, especially hungry, then like, you know, after that, I'll still go home and like, you know, and, and have this veritable smorgasbord in front of me. So, so yeah, like it's, it's, it's a bit of a challenge at first, but you know, but we are there to help people.
Yeah. And that restaurant thing, there has not been a single time that I can think of. And I've been vegan for like eight years, I think. Yeah. That I've gone to a restaurant. And if you just politely say, I'm vegan, what do you, th- what, do you have any suggestions? People like every time are like, huh, maybe you can, like if they didn't already have something to say, they figure it out and they sort of enjoy it. Like, yeah, it's, it's always fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right, people, go vegan. Stop being racist. Yeah. Stop being misogynist, et cetera, et cetera. All of that. Settled. Settled. <laughs> Where, where's the best place to find you online? Is it Facebook? It really is Facebook. I have not created an online space for myself because I don't, like, I don't regard myself as anyone particularly important or as having, like, you know, like, very meaningful things to say. Like, for all of the, like things that people think are profound, there are going to be like seven more extremely ratchet statuses that I post right after that Um, Uh (laughs) because I'm a complete person. So it's like everybody can screw off. But, but yeah, like, you know, so, so I know like, you know, I, I never like, you know, I never went out of my way to like make a website or anything. You can find me on Facebook. Um, Like, you know, I, I also still work for vegan publishers um, and also for Vine Sanctuary. Um, and the Vine Sanctuary family is like, you know, that's, that's a whole other discussion, but, but yeah, like you can, you can find me there as well. Um, but, but yeah, like if you, if you stumble upon the Vine website, go there because like, you know, the sanctuary community is a remarkable place and like, you know, and there's so much more than just me and, you know, and I'm really grateful for that, that I'm a part of like something that's so much larger than myself. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. We'll close it before you fall, completely fall out, I guess. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me, Michael. And I hope to yeah. see you again when I get to New York. Like, we do have yeah. more. I blame Obama. Thanks, Obama. Yeah, but Obama really fucked everything up for our hanging out. <laughs> yeah. It's not okay. <laughs> well, at least he'll be out. Like, I think Trump has a lot more of an interest in you and I spending time together. So I, things are I think up. you're right. I think you're right. So, yeah. I'll see you <laughs> when I'm back in town. Thank you, man. Yeah, sure. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Okay, kids, how are we doing? We're going long today. I told you. Thank you, Christopher Sebastian, for being on the show. While we're having this little interlude between our two guests. Two, two, two. Okay. No. Uh, All right. This is The Slay Bells. S-L-A-Y-B-E-L-L-E-S. This is a brand new project from my friend, Cy. He's 50% of Naked Highway. He did this Christmas uh, project. Ah, I'm worried I've got this wrong, but I think this is music written for Bloomingdale's. It's up as part of the Christmas decor at, at Bloomingdale's in New York City. And you can also purchase your own copy from, uh, you know, that place, Bandcamp. I'll put a link along with all the other necessary links at MikeyPod.com. And you know, I just realized most podcasting apps will show you these links and they'll be live. So you can just tap on them right on your phone. Uh, so you can tap on the one for the sleigh bells and it'll take you right to the site, assuming you've got, you know, website. Anyway, enough about the wonders of technology. Let's move on. Here's our final interview. Final, yeah, with uh, Robin Raven.
Hello and welcome to the podcast, Robin. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm super excited to talk to you. We were like when we first got on the call, we were, we've known each other. I don't even know for how many years on social media and never heard each other's voices. So it's very funny to be like, oh, that's what you sound like. You're not just a little <laughs> image. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's been so many years. It's so great to finally talk to you. <laughs> yes. So you have a book that's out. Uh, vegan, vegan Publishers uh, published it uh, called Santa's First Vegan Christmas. Um, and in a nutshell, well, I, well, maybe you can summarize what the book is about. Sure. Um, it is about a very strong and sweet reindeer named Dana, and she meets Santa Claus uh, one Christmas Eve, and she changes his mind about um, using reindeer to pull his sleigh, and she has a better alternative. And she teaches him a lot about kindness, and they spread love and joy. And What made you decide to do a children's book? You know, I didn't set out to do a children's book. I was... Um, reading a lot of holiday stories one year and um, looking at a lot of holiday art. And I noticed in a lot of the holiday art, um, Santa is depicted with a whip. And the whip is about to hit the reindeer, um, a lot a lot of it. <laughs> and I was really taken aback by that. I never thought of it. And I, as far as the Christmas tradition goes, it never occurred to me before. I never noticed it. And, I th- and the response I've gotten since writing the book is that pretty much anybody else um, that I've spoken to, I'd never thought of it before until reading the book. Um, but it big opponent of the... Um, horse-driven carriages in New York City and um, the way horses are still exploited and used today. And so I kind of drew that parallel with the real world, with how the fictional reindeers were treated and the way um, animals are treated in real life. So I had this vision in my head of this reindeer who fights back. (laughs) Uh, That, like, I just decided to Google it because I was like, what, a whip? And sure enough, there are like whips in these pictures. So many, yeah, so many. It's it's kind of scary. It's like, it's and it it doesn't really. It never occurred to me before until that that Christmas. I was noticing it, and I was like, Oh my god! There's one I'm looking at. It's really horrifying to like both to notice that like in this like sweet image, you're like, no, he's whipping these reindeer. <laughs> and this one I'm looking at, it, the whip is all very stylized and like, oh, God. I was like, oh, gross. That's so weird. Isn't like, it? It's like, it's like, yes. So it's, I was really taken aback and you know, everyone thinks of Santa as the ultimate nice guy. So, so, you know, I certainly reindeer. didn't want to ruin that. Hmm? Not to reindeer. He's not. No. <laughs> <laughs> but Dana teaches him a few things, and so he changes his ways, and now he is. <laughs> yeah, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> That's really, like, I don't, like, it's really funny, like, and I guess this is maybe something really valuable about children's literature. Like, I teach kids, I don't know if you know this, I teach music to kids, mm-hmm. and I learn from them all the time, of course, but, like, I don't know, there's something about the simplicity of your book and, like, this conversation we're having right now about... Santa's using a whip in these pictures. Maybe not really nice. Mm-hmm. That um, that I don't know. It's it's very uh, sort of opening to me. The book deal with vegan publishers. How did that come about? Oh, you know, after I had written the poem, um, I hadn't. In, I, you know, I'd originally not written it for children. I'd written it as a poem, as like being inspired after you know envisioning this reindeer talking back to Santa and changing things, taking it on herself to change things. And I wrote this poem, and I shared it with a couple of people, but then I put it away, and I didn't um, 
really think about it for a while. And then I, <laughs> three years later, I thought, you know, I rewrote it as a children's book and I wanted to submit it to publishers. So I started looking for what publisher I thought would be a good fit. And I came across the vegan publishers um, and I thought, wow, this would be a perfect fit. And I submitted it and they accepted it and I was so happy. So, Oh, that's great. Was it, <laughs> were they your first one to submit it to? They were the very first ones. I really lucked out there. I was, I was very fortunate. And um, Check you out. That's really cool. That's like, <laughs> I love these stories. Like, well, I thought I'd take a risk and the first publisher I sent it to said yes. And everything worked out great. Yay. <laughs> Uh, vegan Publishers has some great stuff. And now I can't think of this author's name. Uh, the, I think he's actually the head of Vegan Publishers. What's that guy's name? Casey Taft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm dying to. And I should probably stop saying I'm dying to read this book and actually read it um, about psychology. Um, I'm feverishly looking at the website right now trying to find the title of it. Motivational Methods. I found the name Motivational Methods for Vegan Advocacy. Uh, I heard him on the Our Hen House podcast and it was like mind blowing because I struggle always with my uh, my approach for advocating for animals. One minute I'll be like gently like sharing on Facebook about, you know, you guys, blah, 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 if you need help. And the next minute I'm like, you people are disgusting. Like, <laughs> look what you're doing. This picture is your fault. Um, but he has such a nice, calm and um, well thought out approach. Uh, so, so just because of that, even I, well, I heard his interview, so I guess I, I have a right to be, uh, inspired and impressed by him, but I really should get on it and read that book. Absolutely. It's a very interesting book. So you've done a lot of, um, of work, like you wrote Melissa Gilbert's biography. Am I remembering this correctly? Uh, the, <clears throat> the web biography for her official website. Yes. It's still up there. If you go to Melissa slash Gilbert.com. How did, how did that happen? Oh, that was a long time ago. The original one that I wrote um, was a long time ago. She, I heard that she was looking for a website biographer, and I wrote biography, and I wrote <laughs> it, and I sent it to her website at the time, and she chose it. Um, she really liked it, and she chose it, which is a big honor for me because I've been a huge, huge fan of her since I was four years old. <laughs> so that was really exciting, really thrilling. Uh, Little House on the Prairie, right? Yes, I love Lost in the <laughs> My sister, I liked the show. Like, I think I don't want to to out anyone's ages, <laughs> but I remember watching it when I was a kid. I think it was on primetime at the time. Okay. And then when my little sister became somewhat obsessed with the show, <laughs> like when it was in syndication, mm -hmm. and she watched it all the time. Anyway, that's sort of a side note. But yay, Melissa Gilbert and her biography on her website. Yeah, that was it was uh, <clears throat> a huge honor. And she's had it up there for a decade about, so it's really an honor. And then I've done updates to it over time. Oh, that's cool. Do you have any other favorite uh, freelancing projects you've done? I'm really thankful for all the freelance um, clients that I have. I really enjoyed interviewing you for the Huffington Post. That was fun. Um, that was fun, P.S. Yeah, I written for Friends of Animals. That was great. Uh, I and um. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so many. The Malibu Times. And then I enjoyed writing for USA Today. Um, a lot of different different articles. I love the people that I meet when I do interviews. That's always the fun part of the job. Where can we find you online? 
Um, well, I'm revamping my website right now, RobinRaven.com. That should be back within a, within the week. I'm trying to finish that up this weekend. Um, and I'm on Facebook. Uh, uh, Robin Raven is my username on Facebook and Twitter. So where is the best place for people to track down the book? It is available on Amazon. It's available on Vegan Essentials. Um, it's also available in the PETA catalog, um, Barnes & Noble. And you can also special order it at any local bookstore. Um, if they don't have it in stock already, you can special order it from there. And that's really good for you. Like That's some like sort of grassroots vegan activism we could do, or at least advocacy, to go to a local bookstore and ask for your book, ask for a book about veganism, right? That would be wonderful. Absolutely. Yes. And of course, it'll help you sell more books, too, yes. which is never a bad idea. <laughs> that makes me happy. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the podcast, Robin. Absolutely. It was so wonderful to talk to you. You're easier to love from afar You're easier to see When I don't know where you are Like before God changed your DNA I think I could remember you that way saying amen It's easier to hate That's what I fear Cause you're easier to understand When the words don't ring so clear But the knife will fall from a sunny sky When I hear your name and remember this goodbye oh, I'm saying
from her latest album, Haze, that was Natalie Dawn with Amen. And good Lord, children, wasn't that a good song? I love that song. I think it's so beautiful. That's it. That's the show for today. Honestly, it didn't wind up being that long. It's just a little bit over an hour. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up right now. Uh, MikeyPod.com. Please send me an email, MikeyPod at gmail.com. You can find me on the internet, on uh, social medias at social media. Social, yeah, media. So media is plural, right? Social media at Michael Heron. And I'd love your support on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Michael Heron. I will talk to you next week if all things go as planned. Joey Ito will be returning to the show. I haven't talked to him in years. He's just written a new book, and we'll be talking about it. Thanks for your patience with this show, and um, we'll see if I get back on schedule. Talk to you soon.